of Jacob and Abraham by faith are not consumed. We are preserved of you. We are kept of you. We are kept as your witnesses. Witnesses of your faithfulness. Faithfulness to deliver. Faithfulness to save. Faithfulness to keep. Faithfulness to provide. Faithfulness to deliver from every prongs of the arms of the valley of shadow of death. We we'll bless your name. Hitherto have you been with us. And through this month of April, we lift up our hands of praise again. What can we say, Lord, but to say thank you for another month virtually gone by. Before men, before the world, it has been a most difficult month that has never had its kind in history. But here we are. You, the Lord, have remained the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Preserver of Life, the Judge of the Earth, and He who has remembered mercy in your grace. Blessed be your name, O God, in Jesus' name. Blessed be your name, O God, because you are God, you are Father. Nothing has dethroned you. Nothing has taken away your reign and supremacy. The diseases, the pestilences, the happenings in the world, they are all within your purview, and they are all within your eye view, and they are all within your authority. We thank you because, Lord, you are the Lord who has overseen all this, and you allowed them. You said that this is a time for coronavirus, and because it's a time, it's happening according to the will of history, biblical history, scriptural history, that your word may come to fulfillment of the events of the last days, when all men and eyes and heart will be riveted unto you, that perchance 
men's heart will still give them a room that we will not perish, but that will repent and will yet be saved of you. Thank you, Lord, for doing it in the world and for doing it in our country and for allowing us to be witnesses thereof. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of all majesty, the Lord that ruleth in might and glory. We give you praise. We honor you. We adore you. We lift up your name, O God, and magnify you. If we do not magnify you, what else are we here for? Every day you have kept us. And every single day of this passing month of the month of April, you said you formed us for your own, that we might praise you. You have formed us for your own, that we may glorify you. We simply give a token of it and say, be exalted, be worshipped, be honored, be lifted up, O God. In the name of Jesus we pray. And thank you Lord. As you give us a leeway. To yet hearken unto you. Cause that the revival. You are bringing about. We men have a way we look at things. But Lord you allow fortunes and misfortunes. You allow events and circumstances. In order to stay up. That closeness and communion. To stay up. The helplessness of man to stay up our dependency on you, and then you will visit. Lord, visit us in the name of Jesus. Visit us in this chapel, visit us in this community, visit us as individuals, visit us as families, and visit our society, visit our nation, and visit the world. Let there be an outpouring of your presence again as men call upon you and another. As men's attention turn on you and another, and as it happens, O oh God, may there be a time of stirring as a mighty outpour of your spirit that we have not had before. Lord, this is the doing of it. Take the glory, take the honor, be thou exalted and worshipped in Jesus' name. We pray. And everybody say, Amen. Praise the Lord. I welcome you to another Wednesday. Today is the last Wednesday of this month. And as it's wound with us here, God has helped us with the programs and events that come to meet the programs seem as if he was there. And he has been there. And he knew both the past and what will happen. And he has been meeting us with them. Today is open fellowship. And open fellowship is usually there. We share testimonies of God's faithfulness, especially over the passing months. We also have testimonies of special numbers as people are stirred up. And it's also a day we have exhortation. That's why it's open. Open without a structured program. So that God can minister to us. But more importantly, we have an opportunity to minister to God in depth of reverence and appreciation for another month of his goodness, of his wonders, of his mercies, of his protection, of his supply, of his provision without numbering. And that's where we are here today. This open fellowship today, however, will take one of the forms of the activities that marks it. As we are led, that is the right thing for the time in which we are. And so we take the exhortation. And through this month of April, what has been the theme for our discussion, our prayer, especially on Wednesdays, has been recipe for revival. 
Recipe is ingredients. Recipe is cooking materials, cooking items. Recipe are the things that can make your food, whether you are cooking amala, or jollof, or my my, or rice, to get done and get done in the best way. So when they say recipe for this, it means the things you can put together that will get you the meal done. Recipe for revival are the things that God is requiring, the things that God will need to see, the opportunity, the attitude, the ingredients, the happenings that bring about revival. And I think God has just made the right setting and allowed a time like this so that it is right in tandem with our theme for this month under the larger theme of the law. Revive your work and revive your people. So, perhaps, is there anybody who was seriously minded today that he must share a testimony? Seriously burdened that if you don't share that testimony, it wouldn't be to the blessing of his people. Was there any who came with that mindset? I may just want to see your hand. Okay, let's believe we are deferring to the leading of God. Not that you are just saying you are not seriously minded. But I think this is the aspect of the open fellowship we take on. The recipe for revival, the situation that is now, creates it. And then we just want to have this short exhortation and follow up with a short period of prayer that is in tandem with our time. And I choose to title it Coronavirus Pandemic, Current Realities, Scriptural and Practical Everyday Life Perspectives. Coronavirus pandemic, current world realities, things we are experiencing, everyday life realities now, now, you and I, everyone listening, everyone around Nigeria, and everyone in any other part of the world, that is a current reality. And then we want to see the scriptural and these everyday perspectives, particularly with the underlying passage of Luke chapter 12, verse 15. That's the recurring thing that would drive us to see God asking him through this situation, bring a revival. When there was a civil war, there was a lot of hardship. Many of us weren't around by them. Some of us were toddlers around that time. But we were told that people ate just about any and everything. Some may even eat raw cassava. Some would just see toads, any lizard, anything that was creeping was good enough to be an animal protein. Grasshopper was a prized possession then. If they saw it happening around, as it were, hardship. A lot of it. People died, distressed, people were dislocated as it were. But immediately after the civil war, out of desperation and out of having nothing to do, that could be an alternative. A revival broke out in the then area where the civil war was greatly fought especially in the southeastern Nigeria, who we are told, and we know, a revival broke out. So when situations are like this, 
when you have the realities that are on ground where we are, it will just make us point out and see and read the sign of the times and say, God, it's time for another revival. Revival of spirituality. Revival of godliness. Revival of righteousness. Revival of your visitation. And revival that influences the society and the nation at large because man has come to his wit's end. And that is where we are now. And so, if you look at Luke chapter 12 verse 15, it reads, Jesus said unto them, Take heed, and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. For a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. One of the translations, I think that's message, simply said, a man's life is not defined by what you have. Even when you have a lot. Life is not defined by what you have. Even when you have a lot. And at no time is this passage more apt than now. When most of us, when most of our activities have been confined to the home. Due to the current coronavirus pandemic. And that's why we are reflecting on this topic. Coronavirus pandemic, current realities, the scriptural and the practical everyday life perspective. As seen from the background of Luke chapter 12 verse 15. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he or she possesses. Your life, anyone's life indeed, is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. And so as we reflect, as we meditate, as we chew, as we think on, as we digest this passage that Jesus spoke 2,000 years plus ago, real with us now, a call for a recipe, a way out, a way back to God, a recipe for revival. And the reason is so that we can reorder our lives, so that we can readjust we can realign so that we can also refocus our priorities and being so we can live relevantly and purposefully now and after if a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses if your life is not defined by what you have even when you have a law then what does it consist of you must get what it consists of and live relevantly, purposefully, so our priorities can be rejected again. Some dropped, others followed with more fervency. We we'll build on them. And secondly, 
so that we can be motivated to focus to keep on the main thing that which our life is consisting of that which defines a man a woman a young man a young woman's life we can focus on it keep the main things main thing that's a very very popular slogan and maxim in germany that's what makes them they call them the german machine the germans are practical the germans are more of working people the germans are more of let's do it than let's think it or let's imagine it they just go doing and so what the germans usually do is keep the major things major keep the main things main things and keep the minor things minor so you pursue what a man's life consists of and you define it not only for now it can shape the rest of our life it can shape the rest of the things that we still do into eternity that would be a revival in the name of Jesus Christ. And what are the current realities of COVID-19 pandemic? We already know that the pandemic has virtually covered all the countries of the world. All the countries, all the territories, all the areas of the world. Virtually 205, 206 counting. Virtually all, maybe except for two or three. Belarus and the rest of them which are not yet there yet. We also know that this pandemic has covered about 52 out of the 54 countries in Africa. We know also that in Nigeria about 32 or 33 of the states and federal capital territory are already having cases or have had or have had at least a case leaving just three or so essentially out of the 36 states of the country. We also know about the current pandemic that the global rate as at yesterday has outstripped 3,118,000. We know that's the number of cases as at last night put in WHO and perhaps John Hopkins University. We also know that the number of deaths globally has also as at last night outstripped 216,000. We know in Nigeria, as I yesterday, that the number of cases was already 1,337. The number of deaths, 40. The number discharged, 255. We know this. They are in the public domain. We also know about the pandemic, protective measures. That is now sung as a sing-song. And then in some areas, they have watch records and call it kurukuru trust Nigerians, but at least that's on the lighter side of it. We know about protective measures to adopt. We know about social distancing. We know about hand hygiene. We know about avoiding your face, touching your face, especially eye, nose and mouth with your hands. We know about also use of masks and gloves. We know about coughing etiquette now. And we know also that if you have symptoms as have been initiated, you report to the nearest health facility and or call the NCDC or other numbers that have been given out. We know this already. We also know that there is no cure or medicine for this current coronavirus pandemic. We know as of yet, there is no cure. Though hydroxychloroquine, which had been originally used for malaria, lupus, arthritis, and a drug they call Resmodevi, which was tried for Ebola, and then Famotidine, which is a medication that is used in people who have petechal cell disease, 
are on trial. Not as though they are the cure for sin. They are on trial. As are yet, no particular cure. And we know in our environment, people have begun to be experts with mixing ginger, lemon, garlic, turmeric. Is there anyone some of you have also invented? And they are part of the cure now. And herbal remedy is being strongly suggested by the owner of Ife with a famous herbal pharmaceutical company, Chemchem. They say they also have the antidote. These are part of the search for the cure. As of today, none has been equivocally said to be a cure. We also know that there is no vaccine available for it as of now. Professor Wu and the rest of his colleagues, the ones they have produced, are under trial, as well as the rest of them. So these are facts. The current realities of what we know about the current coronavirus pandemic. And they are grim. Very grim. It's not a cheering news. It's happening everywhere. These are what we know. What are the everyday practical realities, at least some of them, that you and I and everybody in the world... Heads of state, scientists, laborers, and all, whatever station of life we are experiencing now. What is our perspective? And that is where our passage of reference comes in again. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of what? Of the things he possesses. Our lives are not defined by what we have, even when we have them a lot. That is the reality now. A man's life does not consist in the number of houses, the abundance of houses you have. The current reality now is that even if you had many houses now, you have in the city, you have in the village, some have in Dubai, at the same time in London, in Paris, in New York, you can't visit any of them at where you only constrained to be in one no matter the number of houses in different parts of the world in different parts of nigeria in different parts of the city you can only be where now in one your life cannot be measured by the number of houses that you have and when you are in that one house you are confined to one room and when you are in that room, you are confined to one bed in a corner of that room. If anybody saw you moving from one room to another over a night, because you want to fill the number of rooms in your house, what would they think? Something is likely wrong. Kuru may have affected the mental faculty as well. That's the reality. So our lives now and before, if they were, cannot be measured by the number of houses we have because we are restrained from even getting around to them. A man's life, our lives, are not defined by the number of cars we have. You may have many now, but you may only be able to enter just one, if you can. For places where there is total lockdown, you can't even use that one car out of the many of various brands that you have. Because you will have to be stopped at various points, sometimes extorted of your hard-earned money, to be able to move. You have to explain why you should be in that your one car to move from your house. 
That's the reality. So a man's life cannot be measured by the number of cars you have. If you came into a compound and counted them and they filled you with satisfaction, that does not make any difference now. That does not make, because you can't even use them. And where you can use them, not more than one at a time, if you are not restricted. A man's life cannot be equated with the number of clothings, number of pairs of shoes you have now. Expensive ones, fashionable ones, trending ones. Now, how many can you be restricted to wear now? None at all. Most times as you are home, you may only be in your house where? Because if you are in your house, lockdown, and you go and bring your most expensive dress and put on, anybody who comes around will also wonder whether your head is what? Correct. So you can't even wear those ones. The ones that are in fashion, the ones that are trending. A man's heart cannot be measured by the number of dresses in your wardrobe or how expensive or how fashionable they are. If you must, just one at a time. And even just that one, with the weather as we have, just a light one for that matter. So that's how our life cannot be defined by our clothings and by our wears. Of course now, Israel, that a man's life does not consist in the multiple businesses. The abundance of businesses, business empires, one area or the other. They are not a measure now. With all the businesses in different parts of the city or the world, many of us who have them can't access them now. You can't access them. Even when there's a demand, you can't go to them and open them for fear that the security will come around and when they come, it is at a great price. I have heard and it's true, even within here in our city, where people who open their places and then the security agencies come, don't ask me their particular detail, but it's true and real life story, as far back as just two days ago. We'll have to part with thousands of naira if they will not be taken elsewhere as a way of intimidation. So, you can't even access those businesses. People make demands. You can't enter even one of them. You have goods to sell. You have your businesses, but you don't have access. You don't make sales. You are not able to be able to get there and have patronage to get the money. So, with all the businesses... A man's life, a woman's life, businessman's life, and any person's life, they are there, locked up, and nothing more can happen to them. A man's life, a woman's life, does not consist in the abundance of friends, relations, acquaintances that you have. Now is a reality. For many of us who have quite relations outside here, outside this city, outside this nation, outside in different parts of the world, or even within. You can't reach them. You can't visit them, especially the elderly ones. Even when you happen to get there around, the normal show of affection that you would have displayed, particularly to the elderly ones, which is what? Hugging or embracing, or patting, or shaking hands with caution, if you do at all. So with all the multiple friends, up and down, connections, 
acquaintances. We are limited. You can't get access to them. I was speaking with one of us just before we began. Members of the family who are in Lagos, you can't get access to them. They were trying to get on Skype and they couldn't connect. So even with them, you can reach them. You can use your relations or friends or acquaintances now to measure. And for many who are in the outside world, outside there, where the elderly ones are in nursing homes and all the rest of them, they can't go there. They are pleaded with not to go. So you can't say, I am boasting in this. That's the reality. A man's life does not even consist now in the number of phones, no matter the eye, which is the most current one, Samsung, iPod 200. They can't. Because even when you want to make a connection now, with what we have in network, maybe there's also virus on the network now. They truncate it. And sometimes when you are calling somebody who is just near you, they are telling you this line is not available. And the phone is there. And the person is beside you. So even technology is not what you can depend on now. To say that is your solace as it were. A man's life or a student's life cannot consist in the fact that I'm a student. So let me just get it. The students as it were now, without the motivation of exams, tests, without the motivation of any of the assessment that is there with lectures, they are bored. Bored. And they are bored of staying in the house. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of skill, of knowledge. Many of us, that is our fault. Many of us say we are expansing this. I'm a professor of this. I'm a doctor of this. I'm a brilliant lawyer in advocacy. I'm in jurisprudence. I'm an architect. I'm an engineer. I'm a surveyor. Right now, all those expertise. No matter how excellently they've been garnered, they're locked down. They're locked down. You can use them. People can't easily assess you. Lecturers and teachers, with their wealth of knowledge, you can be assessed by your students and by your people. What about the medical doctors who are in the front line, especially around this period? They're even endangered in the course of service they are endangered species as it were. And the best of medical facilities have not been of any help. None. None at all as it were. So, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of any of the things we have been making efforts to acquire over time and over years. This is the reality that COVID-19 is showing to every one of us now. And that's not just all. If you look into history, just to help us know that things are consistent, it's not just for now. A century ago, for the benefit of history, there was also another flu. The year 1917, exactly 103 years ago, there was a Spanish flu. They said that's the only one that has been as devastating as what we have now is. And that crept lives. But it came and went, just like the coronavirus as a pestilence and as a part of the agenda of the end times in the scripture in Matthew 24 and Luke chapter 21 and Mark chapter 13 will also come and go. But it happened then. 
But around the same period a century ago was also another reminder to men so that it's not just now that a man's life does not consist in power, accumulation of it, native accumulation of money or of intellect. In 1923, 97 years ago, at the Chicago Edgewater Beach Hotel, there was a meeting of the successful financiers in the world then. And these were financial giants who almost literally ruled the world. They had a meeting, it's verifiable, it's historical. 1923, Chicago Edgewater Beach Hotel. That's verifiable. Let's just mention five of the men who were there. At that meeting, historic meeting, Samuel Insaw was the president of the largest utility company in America. Call it something like the electricity distribution company. Charles Schwab was the president of the largest steel company in America. He was in that meeting. Maybe if Ajokuta Steel was still in operation, that's what we'll be talking about, the CEO of that company. Richard Whitney, the president of New York Stock Exchange, and New York Stock Exchange is the foremost stock exchange in the whole world. He was in that meeting. Richard Ford, Robert Ford, the secretary of the interior in President Harden's cabinet, an equivalent of our interior minister today, was in that meeting. Leon Fraser, who was then the president of the Bank of International Settlements, he was also in that meeting. So, you can call it the equivalent of International Monetary Fund now that we have in the current era. Let's just take these five. A century ago, they were all in that meeting. They literally ruled the world in terms of the money power. So, if a man's life consistent in the abundance of money that he had, these men had it. They controlled the world. They controlled the financial world. This was documented. 25 years after that historic meeting, by 1948, they took a periscope of some of these men who were at that historic meeting a century ago, and they found these about them. Let's just mention these ones we listed out. Charles Swap, who 25 years before had been the president of the largest state company in America, had become bankrupt. He lived the last five years of his life on borrowed money. Samuel Insull, who by 25 years prior to then, a century ago, was the president of the largest utility company in America, had died in a foreign land, a fugitive from justice, penniless. Richard Whitney, who 25 years before was the president of New York Stock Exchange, 25 years later, 1948, had just been released from Sing Sing prison. Robert Ford, a former cabinet minister in President Habin's cabinet, 25 years earlier, this time around, had now become pardoned from prison and at home broke broke means no money 
And the fifth one, Leon Fraser. 25 years earlier, he was the president of the Bank of International Settlements. 25 years later, by 1948, he had committed suicide. So friends, they had everything money could buy. Everything money could fetch. They had a testament that if money was all that you needed to satisfy a man's life, that could be it. But because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of money, that went off too. Are we talking about that? What about men of power? Napoleon Bonaparte, who many of us read in history, had conquered virtually the rest of the then known Europe and came to the island of Waterloo. He was marooned there. In other words, the ships couldn't go. He just was stranded in that island. And that was where he breathed his last. On his last breath, Napoleon Bonaparte was quoted as saying, I have sought empires, but I have been forsaken of men. I have not sought the most important, Christ Jesus. Voltaire, many people who read literature and literary works, was an avowed atheist, known for his works and sayings. And so for the free thinkers, for those who believe in existential living, for those who are in various fringes of religion, so said, and ways of reaching the Almighty, the Supreme Being, because they won't acknowledge Him as God, neither would they acknowledge Jesus Christ. When Voltaire was at his deathbed, in his dying hour he cried, O Christ, O Lord Jesus, I must die abandoned of God and of men. His nurse was so terrified that she said, For all the wealth of Europe, I will never see another infidel die. It was a most horrific scene that lay beyond all exaggeration. And near him, I know in secondary school then, we read in the 70s and 80s, I think I'm right, about a whiskey a professor of engineering at the University of Lagos, Professor Awojubi. I think he became a professor at the age of 34 years. I read quite a lot about them. And he was also an atheist and a vocal one. And at his age, with his accomplishments, people looked up to him. He garnered attention. He garnered degrees, had honors. But when Awojubi was dying, he simply says, I have deceived so many people. I have left that which was important in life. So intellect, philosophy, free thinking, power, money, those do not consist life. And that's the reality of scripture. A man's life, and that's the reality of COVID-19 we thought we have, does not consist in the abundance of any of these. Our life is not defined by them. And if that is the case, that brings the veracity of First Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 to 10, very, very home to us. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, Read clearly. Because we don't all have microphones, and to make it easier, so I'll just read. First Timothy 6, verses 
But godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with what? Content. That's the scriptural perspective now. If all these you not consist a man's life, they don't define you. They don't define who you are. They can go, they can leave you empty. They can leave a vacuum in you. Simply here it says, now look at the other perspective. Godliness. Turning to God with contentment, with satisfaction. That is great gain. And here simply says when you have food, and even food now, it's not easy for many to get out. And raiment, just want to cover your body. And maybe let me just add, and shelter, because many don't even have the shelter. Basic necessities, those are basically what you need. I'm talking about shelter, by the way. I just said two days ago from a pastor friend, of somebody who lived close to them in a part of this Enugu and moved into his own building in another part of Enugu, a mansion, what he described as a mansion. And just one month after they have moved into the mansion, he had some altercation with some of his village people and collapsed and died. So he had got shelter, mansion of a shelter. But even he couldn't dwell in that shelter for any time longer. So, if a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses, what then consists a man's life? A man's life consists in who possesses him. A man's life consists in who is in charge of his life. Who possesses him? Not what he possesses, but who possesses him. And that's why John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 36, we say, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the rope of God abideth on him. Amos chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, we say, For thus says the Lord unto the house of Israel, unto Nigeria, unto us here currently in our situation, and unto the world, Seek ye me, and you shall live. When anyone seeks the Lord, that is a man's life. That is when life comes. Godliness, seeking the Lord, and the things that honor the Lord, contentment will bring great gain. He said in verse 5 of Amos chapter 5, But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gagal, pass not to Beersheba, to, for Gagal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. These are equivalent to all the things men are seeking today. The beds, the houses, the cars, the promotions, the names, the title, the knowledge, the power, the money we've been pursuing. Seek them not. That's God's injunction. That's what coronavirus is making clear and real to us. Verse 6. Seek the Lord and you shall live. And so that's where a man's life comes from. And Matthew 6.33 we say, Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, godliness, and other things shall then be added. A man's life first comes in John 3.36. In believing the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and personal Savior, in seeking her from no other source, in coming to a point where you know that you are nothing more. You can't get any more on your own that can outlive you here, that can outlive this present situation, that can outlive this present life into eternity. And so you realize 
that you are a sinner and you can't help yourself. Your knowledge, your power, your money, and all that you hang on to, even relatives and friends, that now the reality is upon us. We can't beckon upon them in this hour of pandemic. Those ones are secondary. That's not where we hang our hopes on. He says here, if you will believe the Son of God, if you will entrust your life to Him, you shall have life. That's what a man's life is. If the Son of God, Jesus Christ, will possess you, then you have life. He says in that same John 3, 36, that anyone who does not have the Son of God, no matter how important, head of state, money, we have mentioned the ones who are people who reckon with, does not have life. He's merely existing. Those ones are just padding the life for the existence. Anyone who does not have Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior is under the anger of God. How can a man be existing who already have coronavirus as part of the anger of God, as part of the pestilence of the end times, and yet you now have a perpetual anger hanging over you. So if you are listening to me, and you are here, and wherever you are, your life is clear from coronavirus, just the reality of now, and a century ago, that these are not what make life. If these are, they are still a vacuum. Jesus, let him feel it. We've just finished celebrating Easter. And in Easter, Jesus paid the price. He who knew no sin came to die and suffer for us and bore our sins. And God so commended his love to us that while we were yet in sin, and while many of us today are under the fear and the pang of a virus, coronavirus as it were, Jesus died for our sins. And in Colossians 2, 13, 14, 15, he says that when he died, he has also taken away our trespasses, our sins, our missing the mark, and not being in favor with God. And he took them and nailed them to the cross and dealt with them. He paid the price and finished. None is remaining. And all he's asking you is come have life. Come and have what real life consists of. Have the Son of God in your life. Accept Jesus. Let him come in and possess you. And so John 14, 6 he will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you don't have him, you don't have the life. You don't have the truth. And John 8, 32, 36 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And who is the truth? If the Son, therefore, shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Many of us are in fear now. Many of us are must are well, which are no use now. Coronavirus had made that reality a stark one. So why don't you run to where life is that can give you a guarantee? That is the message of now. Simply as you come, simply redefine your priority. Realign yourself again. Surrender your life to him and tell him, Jesus, this is why you came. Even now there's no solution. There's no hope for man. Our hope is only upon you. Then you can uncoin and you hope not only for today but for tomorrow. And on the second hand, a man's life not only consists in who possesses him, but in the abundance of he who possesses you. So if Jesus has come into your life, it's not El Dorado. It's not hooray. You are still under the impact of today's deprivations that the reality of corona pandemic has brought about. So what do we do? How is that relevant to us? How do we make use of this that any of these is not the answer? It's not the panacea. What does the scripture say? Hosea 6-3, which is our theme song for the year, so to say, says, After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. 
After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up. Then shall we know if we follow unto know the Lord. His going forth is like the morning. Then shall we know if we follow unto know the Lord. And he will come unto us as a latter rain. A key passage from this says, let us follow unto know the Lord. That's the essence of knowing and having the abundance of him who possesses you. And making it relevantly now. Let's go on to know the Lord the more. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him the more. The excellency of his knowledge. Second Peter 3.18 says, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the time to fashion a communion. This is the time to fashion a deep relationship, a deep fellowship with the Lord. That is what having the abundance of Him who possesses you practically and relevantly means for us. It stirs you up. It freshens you. It brings a personal revival. It makes you now to live with the reality. And when Philippians 1.27 it says, Live a life that becometh the gospel. And when they say Philippians 2.15, we say, Be blameless, be harmless, sons of God, without rebuke in this present and crooked generation, among whom you shine as light, shining forth the word of God. That's the answer to having the abundance of him who possesses us. Let's be more like Jesus. Let's draw into him in fellowship. And as we draw, we reach out to him. Deep calls today. We have eternal sufficiency, satisfaction, contentment. And then we spring up as wells of living water. And around us there will be an impact. And the three hours that we also still talk about revival. That is the abundance of him who possesses us. We repent. Right now, as we know, coronavirus is a pestilence. Pestilence that is a devastating, infectious, and contagious illness that rapidly kills people and causes a lot of devastation. That's the definition of pestilence and plague. That's what this pandemic is exactly. And so when the fate of many is hanging on the balance... For he who has already possessed and been possessed by the Lord Jesus, you have a different perspective scripturally and practically. And what is the perspective? He who is in you is greater. First John 4.14 Your life is seed with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3 3. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous. He who has first sought the knowledge of God. To know him and his righteousness. He can now ascribe to this scripture. The righteous runs into him and his word. Safe. He's protected. That's basic scripture. But if your faith is already hanging in the balance and drawn more by fear. Then the same Proverbs 24 10 says that if in this day of adversity you already are fainting. Your faith is really small. So what do you do? Repent of them. Repent of your lack of faith. Repent of your misplaced emphasis on the things that you thought they made light. But now they are bringing the reality. Repent of sin. Repent of your compromise. Repent of your being away from God instead of running into him. That's repentance. And we just read at the beginning, Second 
uh, Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name, who are possessing them as my people, shall humble themselves, shall seek my face, shall pray, shall turn away, shall repent from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sin. Then will I heal their land. That's God's answer. Repentance. That's the answer that will also bring God's hand to stay upon this pandemic. Repentance. That's Nineveh experience. Jonah 3, 1 to 10. The king said, let no man, let no animal eat or drink. And the king came from his royal throne, dropped his robe, put on sackcloth and ashes. And as the Lord saw that they repented, there was a staying of the evil meant unto them. Let's repent. Let's everyone who has been hanging his head on illusion, on faith, comfort now, repent from them. And let's do it sincerely. And let's have a renewed obedience to the word of God. If you're already possessed by Jesus, you already know that what is happening now is a sign of the times. Matthew 24, 7, pestilences. Luke 21, 11, pestilences. And what else do you know? You also do know, as clearly as he stated in Exodus 15, 26, that if you hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and obey his command, and walk in his statutes, then he will not bring upon you this disease that he has brought upon the Egyptians because I am the Lord that he left you. And we know from experience, biblical experience, scriptural perspective, that God had done it in the past. He had made a demarcation between the children of covenant even in the time of old. And when he saw the blood in Exodus chapter 12, verses 7 and 13, he passed over. The household were safe. It was only those who still remained on the other side that were remained cut up. So that should still up your confidence. You also will have a renewed obedience in the word of God. But because at this period, what should engage your attention is that this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the nations of the world. As a witness, then will the end come. There is no more time. That you owe a duty to anyone you see. As you make your phone calls, as you make your tests, and you have opportunity, free time now, use them more and spread the word. That as the first century church in Acts chapter 4, verse 29 to 33, we just read it a couple of days ago in our Bible study, the disciples raised up their voices and said, God, behold their threatenings, behold the hardship, behold the restriction, behold the situation. Lord, give us greater boldness to do what? Speak your word. And the Lord answered, great boldness was given them, great grace came upon all, and with great power gave their testimony. That is what we do now as those who have received of the abundance of what makes life. We shouldn't be like others who have no hope. You anchor your faith in him and then you renew your obedience in the word of God and know what he says about you. The whole of Psalm 91 we've read about pestilence we've read about place and we know that it is real. That is real for everyone who is anchored in Christ Jesus who has found life. So you have a lot. Then what is our duty? Is to simply now Go into relentless prayer. The third leg of revival. Of what is a recipe for revival? Repentance. From our nonchalance. From our fear. From our lukewarmness. From our just going as if things are the same. From our hopes and illusions of life that are not a man's life. 
Don't renew the obedience to the word of God and live like the word of God is real and live it out. And then go into relentless prayer for those and for what God wants to do. The disciples did the same. They didn't shake away from the challenge of their time. The Lord granted them that in the name of Jesus Christ. We already know that even with the same pestilences in the times of old, and that's why for a while we've been praying with number 16, 44 to 49, the priest, the high priest, and he who stood in the gap, and we as children of God, as Revelations 1, 6, 5, 6 says, priests unto our high God. And a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a holy nation. First Peter 2 9. So let's use it. We have access to our Father now. We can intercede like Aaron, like Moses, and beg God as in 2 Samuel 24, 24 to please stay the plague. And in each of those circumstances he did out of his mercy. That's our challenge. Relentless prayer. And then a reviving of the hearts of men even to focus on that which consists life. And remove the extras which do not cut life. That is the practical reality. And that we must wake up to. That the glory of God may arise out from this setting and later in the name of Jesus we pray.